Hello and welcome back to another Millsurf HQ podcast. I'm Tom, and of course I'm joined by the king of the sideburns, Kelly. What's up? Howdy, everyone. Good to be back. So today we're going to focus on a rifle that uses my favorite action, the Mauser action, of course. And like the podcast title says, we have some super knowledgeable guests on the show today to help us share some good info with you. And so I gather my questions and put together a few games, and I'm very excited to talk to this amazing source. Yeah, today we're going to be discussing one of the most well-known Millsurf guns of all time. The Everyone's heard of it, but do they really know it? That's right, we're going to talk about the German Car 98K rifle. These excellent rifles are renowned worldwide as one of, if not the best, military bolt-action rifles. And after the end of World War II, millions made their way over here to the U.S. and like ac across the globe into the hands of collectors. But despite being so widespread and beloved, they are one of the most difficult rifles to collect because there's just like so many details and intricacies to know about them. One could really spend years researching these rifles to really know all that there is, such as our distinguished guest today. That's right, I'm excited to bring you and talk with the amazing sources, the authors of what is known as the book on K98s, Bruce Karam and Michael Steves. <laughs> Howdy. Howdy. Thank you all Welcome. for joining us. We're very excited to have you all on. Glad to be here. Yep. Glad to be here. Very exciting. So the first thing we like to ask all of our guests is, what kind of collector are you? Are you, I think we might already know the answer to this because that's why you're <laughs> here, but what kind of collector are you? Are you a pattern collector? So you collect a lot of the same rifles and try to get all the different little Little ones, different manufacturers, different stampings, things like that. Or are you more kind of a widespread collector where you like to get one of everything? Mike, you start. I am a pattern collector, but it's... I, I also collect other than K98Ks. I have all kinds of rifles, but my main collection is 98Ks, and I have a lot of variations. That, you know... Thank, thank God, because I was saying, if, if you didn't collect any of them, that would be strange. <laughs> that would be strange. So I'm glad you collect a lot of them. <laughs> what about you, Bruce? Um, I guess I'm also a pattern collector, but I'm very targeted for one manufacturer. I collect the Mauser company, specifically, in terms of both the the uh, parent factory in Orbendorf and the satellite facility in Berlin or Borsigwalde or Wittnau is basically people characterize it as, but that's that's me. I'm just I'm I'm a Mauser guy actually. Very nice. I don't think All we've right. had a specific manufacturer collector yet. No. Well, the thing thing about it is, is Mauser is so big that it's you know it's yeah it's not hard to find a lot of them. Well, to collect the whole suite would be nearly impossible because there's it's so diverse between all the manufacturers and the variations, it's, it's immense. Well, how close are you to completing your goal? Um, or, in terms uh, of, in terms of, well, in regards to Mauser and Mauser Berlin, I'm really short, just one code. So. Wow. Um, wow. Well, can you tell us what it is in case someone <laughs> knows? <laughs> I need a 1938 early year S slash 243 code. Um, that's wow. it. 
That's that's crazy. There's so many different ones. And I'm assuming you're talking the the SWP ones and all those late ones too, right? Well, Mike can fill that in. Oh, I, actually, I'm the late war collector. That was my initial thing as I collected everything that was December 1944 and later. And I would, when I started out, I would not buy anything if it wasn't 1945 dated. And <laughs> it's, it's true. I, in fact, when me and Bruce met, that's how we met. I was buying 45 dated rifles from him and, you know, we kicked it off, but yeah, that's, that's how specific I was only 1945. And you set up a website dedicated to it as well. Yeah, latewar.com. Set that up 15, 20 years ago. And I was, no joke, I was on it last night, and I was like, this looks like the same site he had set up from 15 years ago. It's the same. I (laughs) I need to update it, but. No, but I didn't mean it in a bad way. I meant, meant like, this is, you've been doing it a long time. Oh, yeah, I've been doing it a long time. That's. I mean, the big kahuna is the K90 AK form, obviously, but. Right. Uh, and I see the inception of it there on the set, on the page. It says we've just set up a forum. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, this is true. We, we set up the forum after the first book, Creek's Model, and it's been going ever since. Well, you just said Creek's Model. Now, I've been debating is it Creek's Model? Is it Creek's Model? Is it Standard Model? Standard Model? Could you give me some clarity on that, please? If you're from Texas, it's Creek's model. <laughs> I like that. There you go. Go with it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't know what the proper pronunciation is, honestly. Uh, I think if you were probably more Germanized, it would be Modell, but I think we all pretty much Creek's model or standard model. But I, I think the Germans would pronounce it Creek's model, but it's it's you know cutting teeth there and as far as i've been calling it the k98k but of course you can call it the car 98k the 98k the as the books are the carabiner 98k what do you use the most and and are you angry at people that use k98 which there's a bunch of people that say that's the polish one or that's the Gewehr 98 or you know like where are you on that what do you use i love i love anybody that talks about mausers i don't care what they call them uh, <laughs> if they if they call it a k98 it gives me an opening to talk about k98ks and the differences so it's it all depends on how you feel and not oh i've I'm, seen it on your forums some people yelling saying the k98s the yes. polish az and they there are some people out there i mean we don't have a hive mind on the forum we have a lot of a lot of points of view and we we let people roam free. We we give people freedom there to act stupid or smart. <laughs> that I, I do true. appreciate that. There's no censorship. It's a it's free reign, and and it's not out of control. I, I've been there enough times to know. No, that we've got uh, we've got some pretty good people that keep things on a, a straight and narrow. <laughs> but I, well, I would, in my experience, I think most when you're at a show and stuff, I'm 98 Ks. I mean, that's that's like. Mm-hmm. That's a generic term, 98Ks. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much, you hear you hear all those, but if you say car 98 or a 98K, people know what you're talking about. Yep. Actually, if somebody says car 98, I would almost assume that was the World War I uh, carbine rather than uh, World War II rifle. True, but, yeah. yeah. 
say we'd be wasting your talents if we didn't ask you so, you know a lot of k98 questions and get your opinions and stuff but first we're very curious how you two got together and how you ended up writing three books and most of all how you got past that part where you say hey we should write a book yeah you're right how'd you how'd you move further than that well, <laughs> just real quick there's actually two more that we're going to be working on so it'll end up being five Ooh, all right <laughs> oh hey that, that that was the spoiler for the uh what, what's next <laughs> questions <laughs> mike that's, that's great, off. so uh, originally bruce is from the the pre-internet era as a collector He's he's mostly at the end of the internet era, and I was the 1998 era and on, which that's the advent of the internet. So I'm I was in there at the beginning, and I went to forums because that's what internet people do. And Bruce was a KCN member, but he migrated to forums because that's where the stuff was if you want to try to buy things. Yep. And we met on the forum, somewhat. You know, you don't really know anybody just posting things. And in about 2006, I think, I decided that there was too many, there was too much noise on internet forums to actually get anything done as far as like learn anything. So I created a Yahoo group that... I brought all these people in that I thought, okay, this guy's smart, that guy's smart, this guy's smart, and this guy, you know, he has a lot of stuff. And I, I, we had a group, a fairly large group of people on a Yahoo group. It was an email group. And we actually started talking about writing a book as a group. And, uh, and that and was Bruce, at the time the, that was on which rifle, though? I know it's but which, which yeah, all of them or the 40, 19? Well, now, see, that was the thing. The, the initial discussion was, hey, we should take Backbone of the Wehrmacht, which is a decent book, and update it. And we were pretty much told someone had already attempted that, and Blake Stevens decided, no, no one's touching Backbone. That's the bread and butter of collector's grade. Yep. So we kind of we started kicking ideas around, and it, the group got smaller as people were less interested in writing a book. And the, it kind of came to a loggerhead where some people wanted to write a book on each manufacturer, like Steyr, Mauser, you know, J.P. Sauer, Irma. And like most book projects, like you said, it, it just kind of fell apart. And but that's, me and a, Bruce, that's, a, that's a big undertaking at that point. Yes. And that's what it is. It's a lot of work. Everybody wants to write a book. But right. it's difficult. And we got down to the point where me and Bruce were, I was noticing in him that he's more driven. And then I found out he had already written a book. Y'all may not know that oh. before the 98K books, Bruce. No. What was it? Yeah, I actually wrote a book on uh, 8498 Bayonets, uh, 1908 to 1933. That was my first first project that actually was printed. Wow. Mm. And that was in actually that. that we released it in February two thousand and four, but most of the work was done in two thousand three. Okay, that's going to be yeah. another one of our questions on accessories. It would be a good source for those. It sounds like you're the source already. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we, when we we started talking, and since I was a late war 
collector. I only collected 45 date, and I had a lot of really nice examples. Bruce had all the Mauser Oberndorf, and he's like, you know what? 1945 date guns are the most misunderstood because nothing is serial numbered. And right. we, we decided together, hey, that's what that's the book we're going to write. And, and it was going to be called Krieg's Model. Not mm-hmm. volume three, just Krieg's model. Yeah, we were only going to write one book. <laughs> yeah, one just book. One. You know, and, and that tells you how crazy the world of the K98 is with K98K. Let me just say, I didn't mean the other one, is uh, is that the one year can take up a whole book. Yes. Oh, yeah. Actually, less than a year, like six months. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's six wow. months. And we left out the majority of information in that book. We didn't even cover everything why is that because a lot of it's too hard to research there's no documents there's no there's nothing it was basically a collector reference based on known examples and well and uh, one thing uh kelly and i were wondering was how did you get a lot of german information like were they ah. was it easy to to get your hands on you know you had to get based on the charts i've seen you had to get your hands on a lot of Factory we had a documents. we had a secret we had a secret weapon. Secret weapon. So we were just about to go to print with Krieg's model. We were in the final stages, and in order to get that book done properly, what we did is we sent chapters of the book to different people, in who we considered experts in that, you know, Mauser or Sauer or. Well, there's no sour in 45. Uh, and one day out of the blue, Bruce gets an email from John Speed. Oh, John Speed. Well, let, me John give you, let me give you some background on that. Actually, a good friend of mine is Bob Landis. He owns Ohio Ordnance. And he's, he's a big, one of the largest Mauser factory collectors in the country. And he is he, he's pretty good. He's on really good friends with uh, John Speed. And I got John's contact through Bob when Mike and I were working. And I just kind of uh, basically cold emailed him. And, of course, I had Bob to back the project up saying, hey, these guys are serious. And I got an email. And then it just cascaded from there. And once John realized that we were serious guys and actually... You know, we're going to actually accomplish something. He, uh, and once we got to know him, he just, the floodgates opened up. And the really ironic part about it is, is that that actually also kind of caused us to do an update to Krieg's model when we reprinted, actually when we released volume one, we actually at the same time released an updated version of Krieg's model. And that's when we called that volume three, but it's. And that's because I, because John Speed, I know, has a lot, has lots of German documents and gets his hands on a lot of things. Well, he's he's. So is well, that why you had he, he he's behind the collector grade, the Mauser trainers, the sporters, Mauser archive. Um, he's got his, you know, he's responsible for contribu- con- contributions to a bunch of other publications as well. And then so there's like a lot of firsthand documentation and things like that. Well, Mauser's got John Speed's got. The probably the largest personal archive of Mauser factory documentation in the world. Wow. The best way to find something is 
is go to John and say, John, I need you to look for this. Look at the, you know, like, let's say you find a, a stamp trigger guard that's really odd. You say, John, tell me if you've seen anything like this. And he goes, oh, uh, and he, he'll go look. And he pulls through the, goes through the documents, pulls out a plate with a photo, and he scans it, sends it back, says, here you go. This is, when that was made, it was, you know, an experimental sheet metal trigger guard. And so he doesn't, he's got so much stuff, it's, it, wow. it's just. So he's a good, he's a real good resource. He's uh, a very he's a, good resource. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like the resource to have. <laughs> it is. Uh, well, when we finished Creek's model, we were like, okay, good. We're done. You know, this book is done. And Bruce and John were talking and John goes, oh no, you're not done. I have much <laughs> more to do. And yeah, Bruce calls me, he goes, Mike, uh, looks like we're writing the rest of the, the story. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> Let me break that to my wife. <laughs> Three multiple, multiple books, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were we we were adding it up. It's almost two thousand pages between the three volumes. And, and are you happy with all your your final products, all three? Yeah. So um. Uh oh. I'm. I actually. I'm. Well, Krieg's model slash volume three was our first project, and we learned that boatload in terms of both working on that project and we when we went into volume one which is the next project we basically looked at volume you know creeks model volume three and say you know what this can be upgraded and we can improve it um so basically volume one and volume two were a lot denser than volume three or creeks model so we decided to maximize every available page we had in terms of no wasted space be as efficient as we can in presentation. Um, just make sure all the information is as concise as we can so we can put more stuff in there. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions of like, what what did you learn and like, what were some mean, of the biggest from, takeaways? From, a, like... from an editing and, and, a, and a content standpoint, Michael will agree with me. I think you look at Kriegsmann and look at volume one, it's, they're a lot different. Very much. I mean, there's similarities, but when you go, when you open a volume one, it's like, holy shit, you know, it's like, excuse my language, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's just, you can tell that we've learned a, a, a ton between jointly working on volume three, Krieg's model, and then going into the next two volumes. Volume two, I was looking at last night and thinking to myself, I, I love the, the bold, the use of the bold text for certain parts, the, the use of the space. I was even thinking you have sometimes three, four pictures on a page. And yeah. uh, the amount of documents you've put in here is, is amazing. I think we've got, I think we've got a really good balance between historical material and, and, you know, historical material images and actual text. And let me say, I kept thinking I was pulling double pages every time I turned a page. That's how nice the pages are. Man. Bruce, you, you can tell them a little bit about, we, we actually were in complete control of every aspect of the book. We, oh, um, we literally did everything ourselves, including Bruce choosing the paper. Well, basically, <laughs> job. we actually had an agreement with Schiffer. And once I saw the contract, I just said, no, we're not doing this because Schiffer wanted to basically own, own the whole project. And I said, no, we're not doing that. So that's when Mike and I decided we're going to just do this ourselves. And I'm really glad we did it because we we have total control over editing the content who prints it you know mike you might want to add to that 
well, I mean, you said it. We we chose uh, an American company to print our books. We yeah, not print in them Thailand. Overseas. Yeah, uh, we. It was the actual company that did it. Prints college textbooks. Okay. So, yeah, I could see that. That makes and, sense. And we chose heavy paper that's yeah, polished it's... and enameled. It's high quality. We wanted a book that would last a hundred years. Yes, it and, definitely will. And yeah. that's one of the things that after, well, even when we released Craig's model, everybody was going, hey, this is, the quality is really high. And once we saw the finished product, it was like, we were both really pleased. And I do love that you put nice color photos of, say, like six different Oilers or something next to each other. Yeah. So you could, could compare them and it's something that's useful. On top well, of you know, you, good. I think you'll see that's, that follows through all their volumes is you'll see, we call them gallery photos, like groups of guns together. So you can compare them all. Yeah. All Manets, colors. Cleaning kits, you know? Yeah. I love that. I've seen a million K98. And when I look there, I stop, I have to go through each one and see, okay, this change, this is different. The, the stamp well, bands. It's, it's almost that. a sign of the times because we printed this book at the exact, almost the exact moment that color plate, printing was the same price as black and white so a lot of the guys that did books before us had the constraints of price and our books are done uh they're not digital print no they're offset they're offset print which is even more expensive but it's really not when you do a large volume so it, right. it, was, and it looks better for the close-ups and all that Mm-hmm. The way you did it looks great. Well, they're actually off running an offset press, and they're Smythe sewn too, and case bound. So, it's well, it's as good as you can get. So, Bruce, you're speaking about the photography and the quality of it. Bruce actually spent a lot of time developing our photography uh, style. He did all that. I would just copy it, and he had it down to a science where we could we would actually send cameras and lighting to someone. For them to set up and take their own photos and then send everything back it was quite uh for all the pictures and everything was that all like stuff that you owned or you wouldn't like visit and saw or did you like collect collect from oh, different it, was, sources? It, was a, it was a massive effort on multiple fronts to accumulate the images for everything in the books multiple collections sure sure mike and i have a lot of the guns but there was people that actually I'm let me give a shout out to Bob Jensen because he was his collection is primarily pictured in backbone and mm-hmm. I had talked to Bob numerous times on the phone and I asked him if I could come down and shoot some shoot some of his collection for volume one and so I ended up spending three days staying at his house not even met him personally <laughs> <laughs> so him and his wife fed me and I you know went down to his basement for two and a half days and just set up a little, you know, ad-lib photo studio and shot a lot of the guns, a lot of the rifles in volume one that were in his collection. It was amazing. The people were, you know, different Bud Pierce, uh, Robert Jensen, you know, just different collectors. Yeah, I had... Opened their whole collection to us. And and even Mike, you can mention some of the guys down in Texas and Louisiana. I had the same thing. I drove to people's homes and they put me up for the weekend. They 
gave me space and they manually brought rifles to me and <laughs> I took photos for days and like Craig Davidson, wow. I think in Louisiana and Dave Davis and Texas. So there, there was a lot of, a lot of cooperation with the collectors and a lot of that happened after Creek's model, because like I said, everyone's going to write a book, but once you do it and people know, Hey, these guys are serious. A lot of people opened up their collections to us. Yeah. You're not just a, some guy on the internet like, Hey, can I take pictures of your guns? Yeah. I mean, we had gravitas, so to speak. We, well, we had. Yeah, you're right. A book under our belt. And they knew that we were writing another book. But that also opened up a lot of internet connection to the German collectors. Uh, there's some really good guys over in Germany that helped us with the book that we couldn't have done without. I, I'm like, sure you needed some translating, too. Yeah. Well, that was done on multiple fronts between... Well, Mike did a lot of it himself. We had a woman in, uh, in Jersey do it, a lot of it. And then we had another guy named Stefan Hansen in Germany came in late did a boatload of translations in volume one and volume two. Yeah, it was really great as the books progressed. It was almost a divine intervention where, let's say, oh, Bruce, we really need somebody in Germany that's good with technical German. And boop, someone would pop up and say, hey, I'm yeah. Stefan and I, I'm a technical German writer. Would you like assistance? It was, it was kind of crazy. But we've made a lot of friends doing this project, these these books. It's been well, great. I think one thing that Mike and I agree on too is that the books were Uh oh. Uh oh. Bruce Bruce <laughs> crashed. He needs to Call five over. more minutes for his phone. crash. <laughs> uh I could tell a, a neat story about the beginning of this project. Uh I'm I'm very artistic because of my job. I'm, that's what I am. I'm, I'm an artist. That's what I kind of do for a living. Whoa. Bruce is an electrical engineer, so he's very technical. And sorry about that. I dropped. That's off. okay. I'm telling. <laughs> I'm telling a story about you and me and our styles. So I, I'm very. I'm very. Uh, you both use two different parts of your brain. Right. He, I'm artistic. He's technical. And when we sat down and started on Creek's model, he wrote a, a chapter. And I wrote a chapter. We split everything evenly. And I said, okay, let's, I'm going to read yours. You read mine. And we sent them to each other. And Bruce is reading mine. He's like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> and I read his and I was like, oh my God, this is too hard to read. <laughs> because he, he was very dry and technical and, you know, factual. And I'm. He sounds like my man. I'm colloquial. That's what Bruce told me. He goes, your writing is very colloquial. I, was, I had to look it up. I didn't even know <laughs> what it meant. And I don't know how, but we we had a couple of beers and we worked it out. And I don't know how Bruce moderated his technical and I moderated my colloquial. You can almost not tell what part of the book was written by who. And they're about 50-50. Pretty much. Yeah, that's impressive because yeah, it's, it's hard to get that balance. It's usually it's, one way or another kind of leaning. Yeah, and especially with two people. But you know, the bonus to having two people and writing a, a a book is you have someone to keep you honest or you know keep you working. Keep you on point. 
Yeah, I didn't want to let Bruce down by not doing my share. We would have weekly meetings, like, "Oh, where are you at? Let's let's see your progress." And I'm like, "Oh, I'm I'm working, I'm working," you know. But <laughs> that's it, good. Some people just need a little tiny kick in the ass to to get going. Yeah, and Bruce I, is a machine. He's a machine. That's there's no doubt about no, it. No, no, no. It got yeah. really tough at the end as Volume Two was winding down. It was really hard. Well, we know mm. whose whose name is first on the book, so you no. must be the machine. No. It goes backwards. <laughs> His name is first on Creek's model. Uh, okay, That's my true. name is first on Creek's model. When Volume One came up, I was like, "Okay, you can have your your name can be first. <laughs> and when Volume Two came around, he's like, "Well, I, we'll just do my name first. I'm like, "Sure, no problem." <laughs> it's it's the honest truth is is all I did was sweep the floor and get coffee. Bruce yeah. wrote the books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how it is with us. Tom does most of the work here. <laughs> no, we're you know, you know it, what? We're not really we're not egotistical, neither one of us. And it's not about whose name is first for either one of us, but the next book will be my name first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we we also didn't want to put our pictures in the in the in the in the inset because it's like that's just not us. Right. I don't think I'd want to do that. No. Uh, you know, I have about seven or eight uh, searches because I'm still looking for a nice, cheap volume one that I don't have to refinance the mortgage for. So I'll send uh, you one. I put it as Karim and Steve's, though, because oh, the, oh, it's well, the way it is I'm, on the on the cover. Wow. I'm not I'm not going to send you one then. Bruce <laughs> that, can send that, it. Yeah, that affects the search. <laughs> <laughs> That's a more expensive version. <laughs> you know, maybe someone's desperate that they need to sell their books. Actually, uh, at the last commodity, at the last show of shows, there was a guy that was selling volume one and I walk up to the table. I'm like, oh, I'll take it. And he's, he looks at the book. He looks at my name tag. He goes, you wrote this book. I was like, yes. (laughs) He goes, you're buying the book you wrote. I was like, yeah, I can't find them. (laughs) Yes. So I have one if you want it. Uh, I'm, not gonna t- I'm not going to. I'm not going to take it. I, I would, no. but I'm not going to on the podcast. I'll sell I'm it say I'm not going to. Yeah, well, let's do that. I'll sell it to you. <laughs> it's it's a numbered copy. Oh, yeah, you, you'll get a discount rate. <laughs> no, he won't. No. <laughs> you bitch. Full market price. A little bit extra because it because of the source. Is that hey, the I, only one you're missing? You actually have Creek's model. Yeah, somewhere here. Well, I, I the one the ones I've been reading the last few days though is volume two eight because it's. A and B, the last one I got. Yeah. That's so the last one. While. Right. So I, I've been trying to catch up. Oh, you know, that reminds me. One of my friends had a question. Um, and then we can move on from the book if you're sick of talking sure, about go it. Ahead. But yeah. He, he's asking, what was the most difficult maker or model year like to get information on? What factory or if it was a particular year or it's gonna be different for each of us because we split it. I can tell you, for oh. me, it was uh, Irma. There's just no well, information. Actually, you know what? I was going to say Irma or BLM, Lubecker. Is yeah. that just because like a lot of the records were lost, or they just didn't do a the whole lot of got, The factory got bombed flat ah, in that'll 1944, it. I think. Yeah, Irma was Irma was really hard to get original information on. It was it was lean. It was very lean. The guy that ran Irma was very, uh, he was a very big promoter of himself. Uh, if you know what <laughs> I mean, he was very nar- narcissistic. And Mike, was that Geifel? 
Geipel. Yep. And there's a lot of stuff about him that he wrote himself, mm-hmm. telling everyone how good he was. And but it, it was difficult to find information on Irma, the company. Yeah. Yeah, those two, BLM and Irma, were were the toughest two. Especially like Irma sold out in 1941 and becomes FIMA. Yeah, which, that's it's really right. confusing. I'm not, I'm never sure exactly what year that was. You're going to find out in volume one. We have all I have all that. I wrote that chapter. It's, oh, okay. it's, it's laid out pretty good. I well, yeah, FIMA ended in 41 and, and uh, BLM oh, ended in 42. Oh, yeah, you're right. FIMA ended in 41. Yep. So that's one of the reasons why it's lean because they didn't really produce deep into the war. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. At, were they one of the places that were then making parts later on, though? Yes. Yeah. So they weren't um, bombed out yet, maybe? I'm, FIMA made receivers all the way till 1944. A lot and of those then, companies like BLM that. just stopped. They, yeah, they, a lot of they those, switched over to K-43 and G-41. And the, and the FIMA company, Irma, switched over to MP-44s. Oh. And component production. Yeah, oh, so BLM. BLM it's the G-41. G-41, G-43s, yep. Oh yeah, on, on that. Now, that B, was... now BLM continued to make guns all the way into forty-five under the auspice, you know, K forty-threes into forty-five. Yeah, that was another question that we we had gathered is why didn't Walther ever make K ninety-eights? But it was always a. I can answer that. Oh yeah, I can answer right. that because Walther has no factory space mm. for large-scale production, so. They, they, made, they made receivers. Yes. So Walther made two of the most expensive parts for the K98K, the receiver and the rear sight assemblies. The stock is the most expensive part to make. But what happened was in World War One, there was a consortium of makers in the Sewell region that got together to build Gewehr 98s. And after the war, they all start making, you know, adding machines and bicycles and, you know, non-military things. And when World War II was ramping up, uh, Fritz Walther was a huge Nazi. He had a lot of connections. And he went to the the German military and says, hey, we want to make guns again. And I, th- I mean, this, I never found documents to prove this, but it's pretty clear that Walther put together the contract to make 98Ks again. And... They did the same thing as, as World War One. J.P. Sauer assembled guns. Heinel made stocks. Uh, Walther made receivers and sights. Other smaller companies made all the other you know minor parts. But the reason Walther never made 98Ks is because they didn't need to. They were making money. And this is another thing that most people don't realize in 98K stuff is these companies were businesses their job was to make money and walter made a lot of money making receivers and rear sights and look how small they are they didn't need space to make well, that just look at the factory you see pictures of the inside of the factory and it's just jammed in there there's, there's there was absolutely no more factory space available if they wanted to actually assemble 98ks there was no room and mike's right yeah and they yeah. took on other projects like the G41, they had P38s they were making. Well, the, a lot of that was done in Nuangama, the the satellite factory. 
okay. because they didn't have the room. The, those K-43s were mostly assembled off-site under the concentration camp system under with using forced labor. According to Darren Weaver's uh, books, which I like. We're going to get to some concentration camp questions, too, because I have some sure. questions here that we we got from some friends and some uh, some listeners and social media send uh, emails and stuff like that. So we'll 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 we cover we'll, that and we're going to come back to the book here with um, about what's next. Maybe I'll cut out that you guys said you're going to actually write more. Yeah, do that. Because <laughs> Bruce let the cat out of the bag too early. Bruce, Sorry. I told Friday. you. Let's yep. do this Spo at the end. No. Spoiler alert. <laughs> right. That's that's very exciting. Well, let's, you got me let's all... reset. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely cut that out. And let's let's make that the last. <laughs> let's make that the last thing because that, that's what people they have something to look forward to if they like our books. Oh, and another question, or one last thing on the books. Maybe we could also have this at the end, but everyone always asks if they're ever going to be reprinted. We've heard that a lot. Yeah, right. Everybody mm. asks that. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess I can cover this. Bruce could probably answer it too, but it's expensive yep. to print books. We self-financed the printing of every copy you know, we didn't have a company like Schiffer or Collector Grade to do it. So we printed approximately 2,500 copies of each book. So there's a mate for every set. Uh, we printed a little bit more of volume two because we knew it would be the best. And some people, some people would only want the wartime years. But as far as reprinting. That's a tough call. We... A question unanswered for now. <laughs> all right, all right, we'll leave it at so, that. So, if I can get some financing from some some outside company, you guys would be all down for reprinting, though, no. right? No, because <laughs> Bruce is tired of shipping. <laughs> that, that this was the deal we made. I do all of the business end. He does all of the manual shipping. He's my shipping employee. <laughs> and uh, yeah. when when we release each volume, like when volume one came out and volume two, I flew to Ohio and helped pack and mail. We clogged up the post office. We did. We totally, we had to go into the back dock area to drop off the books. Yeah, we, we did all this ourselves. When, when I say we did it ourselves, we did everything, including packing, shipping. Everything. Uh, everything. That's amazing. So, you said 2,500? Yes. 2,500 wow. of each volume. Uh, total of seven, right around 7,500 books. Wow. Yeah, you guys worked hard. We did. We'll catch you some slack, I guess. Thanks. We just and we just <laughs> sold out of uh, volume two. It's it's gone now. We have a couple of copies on hand for you know if we get somebody that has a numbered set because that's one thing we offered originally was uh, and that's the collector in us. We offered <laughs> numbered sets that they're numbered like ninety eight Ks. They're like you know, 1A, 1B, 1C. Yeah. And, you know, if we get somebody, I mean, we had one just, uh, what, a week ago. Guy's like, oh, man, I missed the boat. I've got book number whatever. And I was like, yeah. I'm much covered, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we do. All right, so I've amassed some questions here. We got the, from OLF Bring them friends. On. So, so we'll start with some subjective opinion style questions first, just to. Yeah. To, to see how you feel here about some things. Uh, well, it's a nice, easy one. Kelly, we'll take turns uh, down the list. 
Go ahead. Do you consider the K98K more of a 33 standard model or a shortened Carabiner 98B or a bit of both? Oh, boy. I have my opinion. It's a shortened 98B, Ooh. and I have my reason for that. But let's see what Bruce says. Well, that's that's a tough question because the standard model is like a shortened 98B with a straight <laughs> bolt. So right. that's pretty much I the mean, only. Really, I mean, really, the 98B really started the whole thing going because it's not, uh, modern tangent sight, bent bolt, just has a 29-inch barrel. That's the only difference, really. All right, so, so we've got two 98Bs. Yep. Yeah. So on that, they already had the the 98A from World War One. Right. Why didn't they just kind of stick with that versus kind of creating something new? Was it just like the they wanted a large ring receiver, or they just had a different route in mind for that? What's really ironic is that Mauser had a tangent sight version of the Gewehr 98 before World War One, and there's a whole backtrack on why they ended up with the longest sight. There's politics involved, but, you know, there was actually a, a better rifle that the Germans didn't adopt, <laughs> which is really, you know, it's actually not surprising if you look into some of the politics and some of the, the turf wars going on in Germany at the time. But Oh, yeah. Um, we knew well, there had to be a reason for the Langevizier site to, to, to make it on there. Oh, yeah. There was, there was some favoritism at uh, Spandau, actually. But um, I lost track. Where were we? <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, K98A already existed. Why did the they go for the, the B and then later on the K98K. So well, that's a really good question because that it had a, a bent question. bolt, small ring, very nice handy rifle. Um probably just need the tangent sight was already there. Uh, were they still tooled up? I know the ninety eight B was in the twenties. Were they somehow still tooled up for for that? No, I, that, that's, that's no, no small ring the small ring production ended in nineteen eighteen. It may be the fact that the tooling was already in place. It also may be the fact, I mean, this is speculation. The Gewehr 98 was the standard service rifle, and it's a large ring. And the parts availability could have been an issue. Yeah, parts availability. For, for the Waffenmeister group, you know, it's... Good point. There's, there's a lot of things that go into a decision like that. But uh, a lot of people think that the German army in the interwar years between World War One and World War Two was efficient and competent, and it actually wasn't. <laughs> a lot of those decisions were made by small, small groups of people. Uh, there was no testing. There was no, and a lot of this information comes from the uh, Hendrik Sterngewehr book, which. And, and you do think that, like the Germans had someone supervising the supervisor, you know? They did not. They actually did not. There was no one watching the hen house because no one cared about it. It was it was not an issue. They they just they weren't thinking about that in nineteen you know, nineteen twenties. They had other problems. Well plus and, it was a politically chaotic time too, so there's a lot of upheaval. Yeah. Yeah. But if you it's read if if you read Sturmgewehr, that there's a lot of information on that that period with the development of the ninety eight B that 
that he goes into some really good detail with documentation and stuff about that. We, we covered it in our book, and most of the information came from his work, and it's credited in there. But I actually spoke in to your him. volume one. You have ninety eight B, and yes, um, okay. yes, you'll like, see because uh, I'll make sure you get a copy. <laughs> I'll send you my PayPal. You can PayPal me. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> All right, but maybe not after I ask this next question here. This is the number one question asked, so I have to ask it. I, I, I reworded it a little bit, but everyone wants to know what factories were making the highest quality K98Ks at the start of the war. So say 39. You have that's, a sub that's subjective, eight. though. It is. But in your uh, opinion. I'd say Mauser. The subjective Mauser section. I say Mauser Oberndorf. They had the best. And I, I think I know Bruce is going to say that as well. <laughs> Let's hear him mm. say it. Well, he collects. You know what, though? I, I've seen rifles by all the manufacturers, and it's a tough call. I mean, Miles, sure, the Mauser quality was high, but there was a lot of... A lot of the other manufacturers had equally high quality too. It's a, it, I don't know if I can answer that. I mean, they were all good. Very diplomatic of you, Bruce. Yeah, very is. diplomatic. <laughs> I'll yeah. say I, actually, I collect Mauser, but I've got a really high opinion of uh, the BLM product in uh, in the early in the mid to late thirties. Is now go to, go to the late war years and let's ask that question about the late war years. <laughs> oh, that's easy. <laughs> no. Well, it's well, when the easy. Germans are down to serializing the screws, they were really putting out a good product at that time. Yes. Well, I mean, Mike, you can elaborate on the the, the Czech factories. They were really high quality. So at, that's war. at the end. That's at the end of the war. He's talking about yeah. the early war guns. Yeah. You know, with the numbered screws and the right. insanity of uh, lock screws with inspections on them. <laughs> oh, that's hey, that's, that's that's very very German. I would say Mauser. Generally, Mauser had the best quality because, believe it or not, Mauser measured themselves against everyone else. They did. Uh, I yeah, believe they it. They did. They actually brought in competitors, data on competitors, and compared, you know, their data they, against the, the competition. They brought rifles in. They brought rifles wow. into the factory and tested them. And that's why I talk about the, the late war years. You know, everybody knows that the late war guns are just terrible. And since I'm Mr. Late War, I, I'm bringing this conversation to late war. Uh, so in 1944, in order to, Albert Speer had this uh, system where each factory had to tell you how many guns shot a perfect score on their first shooting, how many had to be repaired. Uh, they called it Anschuss and uh, Mauser and the Czech factories had similar results in 1944. And the Mauser factory ordered the Czechs to send them a bulk of rifles with the same ammunition that they were shooting so that they could do the test themselves. <laughs> and the Czech factory guns actually met the expectations and these are just random you know guns off the assembly line so mauser actually could not believe that this czech factory was making guns as high quality as them yeah, they in were 1944 but they yeah. were they're way underrated star was the worst wow. 
I was gonna say next, what was the yeah. who would be the worst? Star? Star. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. About the worst. Any anything stand out for bad during the early war years? For not quite as high quality? No. Even even Star's quality early was kind of sloppy. Right. Take if you take a four uh, six sixty nineteen forty or a BNZ forty one, quality's not bad. But if you compare that to a Mauser gun, it's just light and day. The fit and finish, the metal finish, the, the you know just the surface finish, degree of fit. It's just you know it's just Mauser wow. Mauser quality was way higher than Star at that time. I'd say Star was the worst throughout the war and Mauser was the highest throughout the war. If you if you had to pick one who had the best and one who had the worst, my opinion would be Mauser best, Sire worst. Wow. I didn't think you guys would have a worst. I thought you'd be uh trying See, to, you don't know. Total we're, line. Yeah, we're regular heard. guys. We 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 drink <laughs> beer, we talk talk crap to each other, you know. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. You heard it here. We're very open to meeting people. Like when we go to the show of shows, hey, come talk to us. We love new people because there's new perspectives. I like it. Even guys that just started. I mean, it's it's great. Yeah, there's a lot that just started now with the during the pandemic. I noticed a lot more collectors on the scene, newbies. Yeah, yeah. and I like them. I mean, I'm actually jealous. I had a guy on our forum. He posted a, it was an absolute gar- a garbage pile. It was, it was a terrible gun, but he was so excited. And I saw that as I, I, I saw that enthusiasm and I was like, yeah, that I remember that, you know, it was, it was nice. <laughs> well, we all had to start somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, when we people started in the old days before the internet was was so you know big like this, you, you could hide your newbie status. But now you have people buying thousand dollar rifles and then posting, "Hey, what do I have?" Is that, is yeah. that that bothers you guys when you see that? Uh, with a that's a fool in his money, basically. <laughs> well, it's yeah. hit or miss. I mean, you've got guys buying a boatload of crap for a lot of money, and it's like, dude, you didn't you didn't look at the books, you didn't do the research, you just thought it was nice, and you <laughs> shelled out the money, and guess what? You got burned. Yep. So it's a roll of the dice. It truly is. Yeah, you see a lot of that with 98Ks, it seems like, especially. Yes, it's unfortunate. But, you know, it, if you if you actually look at other collecting genres, the same thing happens with carbines, Garands, O3s, Gewehr 98s, uh, Lugers, Lugers oh, yeah. P38s. It's not a unique phenomenon that the 98K is full of fakes. Yeah, it's, it's anything pricey, anything you can make money on. Anything collectible <laughs> is a target. They're, I mean, they make fake beanie babies. So, you know, everything is faked. Yeah, and, once you start hitting a certain financial, you know, shelf, then it brings in all the unsavory people, unfortunately. And that's, one, and that's one of the reasons for our online forum is... People can get almost all of the information from our books for free on our forum. It's it's not as laid out as easy, but if you spend yeah. some time and 
learn. You can get everything from our books because a lot of it came from discussions on our forum from, between collectors. You know, we yeah. we discuss these things. And well, we don't play hide the weenie on the forum either. In other words, as versus other forums, <laughs> that if somebody throws a turd up there, excuse my language again, but we're going to call it out. You know, we're going to call it out. Yep, that's what I appreciate about that, especially like the for sale forum people like. Some, I mean, that's, I've had to apologetically say I'm sorry, guy, but and you got a bad gun there. You know, I, <laughs> I feel bad for the people, but it's like some people take it well, and those are the people that usually stick around and turn into something. But some people do not like to be told that they're wrong, and they will go find someone else, someone else, or somewhere else to tell them they're right. And there is avenues out there. That will tell you. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, they can go yeah. to the Facebook forum. They're looking for uh, uh, an echo chamber. And you slam. What, you slam Facebook, Bruce. Did you Sorry. just slam the Facebook people? Your oh, Facebook's God. tough. Uh-oh. Bruce, Bruce did there's that. good and bad on Facebook. There's good and bad. Bruce did that. I didn't do that. <laughs> there's a lot Bruce of bad, Karam. but there's, there's some good. Bruce Karam did that. <laughs> okay, bad me. No, I'm just kidding. He's right. All right. Another one of our questions that we gathered on just random manufacturing things, this one's specific to Mauser, is why would they take on a contract to make 98Ks for Portugal in 1941 when they're already in a war? Sure. Uh, business. Yeah. They Taking orders. Uh, if, if you've got manufacturing capability and you've got a big order for 60,000 guns, you know, if you can manufacture them, why not make them? It's good business. There's something you got to remember, too. In 1941, the German military slowed orders at the beginning of 41 because they thought that the Russian campaign was going to fold like a cheap suit and they wouldn't need a bunch of of arms. So (laughs) I'm sure that that may play a part in this decision of Mauser to because if you look at the very first Portuguese contract, they're straight Mauser, you know, German accepted guns. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying the very first ones are one hundred percent Wehrmacht guns with Portuguese serial and and insignia stamped on the stock. There's literally no difference between a thirty seven, you know, Wehrmacht gun and a 37 Portuguese. No, that was the, that was the uh, the first model in 37. The, the, oh, port, yeah, the contract in 41 was oh, still, yeah, you're right. still specifically walnut stock guns, but they were all military inspected, just like oh, a regular yeah, right. 98K. Yeah. I'm confusing the two. And, and, they're, and they're almost priced the same as a K98K. Yeah, they are. You seen those? Yeah. Um, actually, a Portuguese, a mint Portuguese with a matching bayonet has a really expensive price point now. Oof. Yeah, I can see that. And I, I don't see it much. I, I'm always watching. I'll take a look at every Mauser, even if I'm not, not going to buy it. But They used to be pretty common, but they've really dried up. But that Mike, as Mike said, they get into late 41 and early 42, and there's, they call it, it's called the rifle crisis. They Basically, the Russian campaign, they got bogged down, and they figured this ain't going very good. And so all of a sudden, they're short armaments production. So that's called the rifle crisis oh. in 1942. And they took these rifles, a lot of them, right? The 41. Well, the, the contract rifles? prematurely ended and about 20,000 guns got diverted back to Army yeah. use. Wow. 20,000. There's also uh, 
Portuguese actually reneged on part of the contract. So it's a combination of diversion to the Wehrmacht and then the Portugal's uh, basically reneging on non-payment on part of the contract. This is a question I actually had. Was was there any design feature or update you wish that was made that that was made to the K98K, like adding side ears or peep sight or uh, increase the magazine, finger grooves, change the wood, something? I say no. It's it's a beautiful gun. Ooh, I like great it. Answer. I like it like it is. It's 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 beautiful in all its forms. Mauser did experiment with the. Uh with the protected front sight um, that they used on the, the model 1935 Chilean carbine. And they oh. actually built some 98Ks with that protected front sight. Um, and uh, that fact, there's a picture of a, in volume one, there's a picture of a guy shooting one of those, one of those uh, prototypes. Okay. That's cool. That would have been the only kind of a cool thing that they could have done. Otherwise Mike's right. I mean, it was, it's a pretty streamlined design. On the praise of the 98K, where would you rank it uh, to its peers at the time? So the other bolt-action rifles that it was either up against or fighting side-by-side -side with, like the Lee Enfield or the Carcano, the M95, Mosin. Moss 36, Type 99. Where would you kind of rank it if, within that range? Well, I assume it's probably near the top. Mike, you go first. Uh, of course. Let me let me let everyone down. Uh, I would say that I mean the nineteen oh three was a copy of the Mauser action, so you can just throw that one right out. Uh, I, I would say the ninety eight guy to say that about the nineteen oh three. Yes, I know of it course. is. But it's still, <laughs> of course, I'm going to say that it was it's, an improvement. Whatever, <laughs> keep it up. Uh, I would say the Lee Infield was a. Have you ever shot a Lee Infield? It's very smooth. Yeah. Yeah, and the detachable nice. magazine was really nice. Yep. And the sights are really good. But Paul Mauser moved away from cock on clothes for a reason, I think. <laughs> it's because when you cock on clothes, it's difficult to cock. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard. <laughs> it takes a lot of effort. And uh, I would say the infield is up there with Mauser. I mean, if you're going to put them on a list, I'd say infield and, and 98K are on par. You can't compare a Carcano or an O3. No. I mean, O3 is a really nice gun. Don't get me and wrong. The, the 99 is another some. Mauser ripoff. The 99? That's... The Type 99 is actually a really good rifle. Oh, and the Mosin. The Mosin is... It's Bottom. rough. Crude, but effective. Yes. <laughs> it's crude, but effective. You know, the guns were all serviceable. Even the Carcano is not a bad gun. It's a strong action. It's simple. You know, the car, You know, the 6.5 is a little weak, but... but there's a little accuracy thing with the K98 that people say it's the most accurate, and then there's people arguing that it's not. Oh, that's... You I know can't... what? It, it really is going to depend on... There, it's like any other accurate rifle. The stock, the barrel, the sights, all those can be factors in accuracy with yeah. a Mauser. And a lot of people that have problems with 98K accuracy, their guns are mismatched. You know, they've got the stock from one gun, band right. from another, sight from another. So when the Germans built these guns, they they test fired them and they had they yeah. had requirements. They did. If they didn't meet requirements, the gun got routed back for rework internally. And even scrapped 
they there's a percentage i think five percent of guns that were made that were completely scrapped yeah, we call that a yield rate on overall production yeah they had a yield rate <laughs> i think isn't it five percent bruce Something I think like that. it's somewhere between four and not up. We figured around a 95 or 96 percent yield on overall production. So that means four wow. percent of the guns made were totally disassembled. The parts were ground of serial numbers and the well, parts they, were. They could also fail pressure test, you know, proof testing. They could have failed that. They could have failed if repeatedly uh, failed accuracy test and just the gun would not shoot straight, you know. So, you know, saying one Mauser, this Mauser's not accurate, and that's where you get that, where one guy says they suck and one guy says they're great, is because they're shooting two different things. Some of it could be political, too. You know, some guys are, you know, very territorial. Pro. Oh, the U.S. Right. guns are better than the German guns or the British sounds guns like, are better. Sounds like it's there's a pro-1903 guy here. No, so. no, no. It's mostly, no, no. it's mostly that, though. It's mostly that. When you are a fan of one of the rifles, you'll defend it and figure out a way to say it's better than everything else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But That's what true. we all agreed on was the Carcano and the Mosin are a step below. Oh, yeah. The K98 oh, and definitely. the 03. Yeah. They're very, they're very uh, robust, but so is a Dodge Dart with a slant six. <laughs> just right. not, not that great. <laughs> so we purchase a lot of guns online on auctions gun broker proxy bid all that stuff do you guys do any purchasing online i was curious uh or, yeah i do I, on gun broker or do you even go into like you know rock island auctions and Morphe's? Um, i bought guns at rock island i bought guns from gun broker i bought guns from various auctions in different parts of the country oh, um I uh, so right off the bat, can we just agree that people that don't take a clear picture of the receiver are <laughs> deserve uh, to be photos are everything on an auction. <laughs> yes, take a picture from ten feet away. Mike, I like you, those auctions. Didn't, didn't you buy that BCD four you traded me with very limited pictures? I did. <laughs> no, there was no photos. None. Wow. Whoa. Are you talking about the machine gun barrel gun? No, no, the one you traded me for the BNZ memory N block BCD4. Uh geez, that's been so long ago. Yeah. But let me think about that. Yeah, yeah. trade you trade you to my Yep. I bought it had very few photos. Uh, I bought my first machine gun barrel BCD4 on Gunbroker. It had been on Gunbroker for years and there was no photos. And when you when you contacted the seller and asked him for photos, he would send you. They wouldn't go through. He he couldn't send photos, because they were too big. So I said, send me one photo. And guess what? It came through, and it was a machine gun barrel BCD four, and it'd been in there for years, and it was priced cheap. Wow, you got a nice deal. Yeah, yeah. Just... and and that's how you do it. You you get lucky. Actually, I got an SS rifle that Mike is in Mike's collection now for a song and a dance at an auction out of California about three years ago, two two or three years ago, for like 20, 25% of what it was worth. So have you had any bad luck where somebody, you, you got something that wasn't what was advertised? or? Well, I've gotten a few stinkers. Like that? Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, I've gotten a few stinkers. Nothing, I've been bit too bad, but I've yeah, I've gotten bit. <laughs> 
Yeah, I bought a rifle from Rock Island, and uh, it was advertised a, a certain way. And they even used pages from my book to advertise a rifle. And I got the rifle, and it was completely bad. And I contacted them, like, well, we put pictures. I was like, yes, you also put pictures of my book, and it ain't like that. And they're like, oh, we'll take it back. So you know, I got <laughs> yeah, my money can, back on that one. When you say that, hey, you used my picture. Yeah. So. yeah. That's that's we my put, photo. A lot of people do that. They pull pictures. Oh, what's in the book? You know, it's like, thank you. Yeah, thank we you. do see we do see auctions online where people will, you know, post, post pages of our book. And the gun is completely bogus. Yeah, I, and, I've seen just photos of your book as like the last photo in yeah. the, the listing. Yeah. And, it's just and weird. The gun's bad, and they're using our book to sell a gun. <laughs> so All right, we can't control it. We can't control it. Yeah. So. so have you noticed any pattern with the German K-98s versus Russian captures? I've noticed Russian captures getting higher up and like uh, like like post-war yeah. and ones that were usually the cheaper versions are catching up now to the K-98. I, I totally have. And, I mean, I've even participated. I bought a Russian capture six months ago and paid like $800 for it. Yeah. All right. That's, seven, that's good. I'm seven, glad it's that much for you, too. Seven fifty. Uh, Well, it was on our forum for sale, and... People were going, and I was like, that's a great gun for a decent price. I bought it. It's mm -hmm. sitting here. So, you know, I, I like 98Ks. It had, it was an AR-43. It's really good condition. All original Russian. A lot of those Russian capture guns have been modified, and this was one that hadn't been. And I'm like, hey, this is this is so collectible. Of the, how many, uh, 12 million plus made, how many are, do you think uh, like what? Not, I don't want to give exact numbers, but like how many do you think are original and not a million things done to them? Like, is it is it a very low percentage? Because you just said all original except for it's a Russian capture. Oh, that's yeah. a tough question. Like, is it a well? Is it a lot or a little? Give me that. A lot, a little, a little, a little. I'd no, say le less than a million, probably. Uh, Maybe way I'd less. Probably most of those would be bringbacks. Well, I, I would say that at least half of the production was ended up in Russia, and probably half of that got destroyed, and the other half got Russianized. And then all the most of the most of the captures in the U.S. region were destroyed. The British didn't destroy their the weapons they captured. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's that's, too that's too subjective. I, I don't really think really hard can... question. It's a really hard question, and you you know you see an all matching gun, and you naturally think, well, this must be a vet bringback. But there was a lot of guns that were imported in the fifties and sixties that were completely matching. And oh, there's a ton of good guns that came in too. Until, uh, inner uh, arms, yeah. I was going to ask about Royal Tiger imports. Are you familiar with those guys? I am. How do you feel about these? Their their K98s either they're wire wheeled or the other ones are refinished. How do garbage. you feel about people? Garbage. <laughs> Thank they're you. garbage. <laughs> I mean, for the price people are paying, you can find a nice gun, even if you found one that was completely mismatched, in better condition. Yeah, than that 
junk. I'm sorry. That's just my opinion. You know, they have some rare variants that sometimes are like $150 or $200, where you're all right, you, maybe someone rolls the dice. But those K98s were all about a thousand bucks. Yeah, they were they were terrible. That's just that's, yeah, that's poor guy that tries to unload it down the road after he's shack, you know, shelled out a thousand bucks. Right. There's a lot. There's a lot of collectors of milsurps that don't have time to do research, and I know this sounds callous, but they're sitting in a a, lawn, a lounge chair or a rocking chair in their house, <laughs> and they're confined, maybe because they're older, and they believe things from these companies. They believe the hype. You're, you're giving too much credit. Like it's yeah, just I know. The, the, it's it's. The ease of clicking add to cart and send. But yeah. but you I'm not I'm not really doing that because I've met these people. That's the thing. I've met these people <laughs> that have bought these guns and I feel bad for them because they're falling prey to the consumerism and well it's hype the too. advertising. Yeah. The speaking hype. Of, it's the YouTube uh, hype. Uh oh. Wait, he said speaking of, I yes. know what's coming. You know, I think, I think you know what's coming. I'm sure it's gonna make skin crawl of Mitchell's Mausers. Oh, I, knew it. Yeah. I knew that would come up. <laughs> that's okay. I think okay. I already know your opinion on them. Actually, Lowest of the low. Yeah, it was, uh, to me, it borders on criminal. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I'm so happy to hear you say that. It's so it's bad. terrible. And they took advantage of older people, like I said, that got their ads and <laughs> hyped up these things as I, something I didn't not. know they added serial numbers and markings and all that. I thought they just refinished them, which was Oh no, all of the numbering up. on them are fake. All the bolts, yeah. trigger guards, bands, all that numbering is I say fake. It's embellishment. <sighs> Embellished. <laughs> and then they make a star out of the Russian capture X or they add Yeah, a... they, they make well, it look they like actually... a snowflake. Didn't they actually claim in their ads that they were refurbished in European arsenals? That Yugoslavia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Look, it boils down to this. A lot of those guns, first of all, they've got a, a bright steel bolt, which the 98K never had. And all the numbering on those is uh, redone, to be generous. I mean, the Waffenops are redone. The right, everything is. No, I don't no? think they. I don't think they stamp Waffenops on them. They oh, left they the old did. ones. Well, they may have. I'm. I'm not sure about I, that. I thought but, I saw a complaint, but all right, cereals are bad enough, though. Yeah, it, it's if if somebody's going to buy a 98K and it says Mitchell's, four hundred dollars is a shooter. Great gun. They're great for shooters. If you just want a shooter, yeah, but you can use some the Mitchell. Those, oh. Some of those guns are selling for over a thousand dollars. The presentation grade, good grief! Yeah, that's with ridiculous. The made up, made up certificate of authenticity. And, and the case, <laughs> and, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> but now, you know, you can't throw Mitchells under the bus completely because they brought some really good Yugo AKs in. The M48s they brought in are great guns. Did they so turn them into anything else? No, they're oh. straight. The the Yugo the Mitchell Yugo AKs are really good guns. There's some good ones, and the Yugo uh, M48s and M48Bs great guns. If you want a good shooter, I mean Mitchell brought some really good guns in. It's the 98Ks. Uh, they I'm, took advantage I'm... of people, and it's it's a shame. Yeah, yeah. In my opinion, 
follower told me to say that. Pass on. <laughs> yeah. So for I guess we have one more quick opinion question for like a newer collector on a budget. Is it worthwhile to try and get a Sporter K98 that has not had the metal altered and like try and restore what some people would call it, like find a new stock and furniture and all the small parts or bring it back to military configuration or just kind of skip that step and save up your money? No. I think for almost the same price, you can get a bolt mismatch. Well, I I kind of disagree with Bruce on this. Uh, I say yes, do it. Because you learn a lot about 98Ks by rebuilding one. It forces you to study Waffen Ops. It forces you to study stock configurations. And it could turn you into a good collector. I like but, that answer. Yeah, you have but, a good point. But Bruce is right that a lot of times the money you spend restoring a gun, you could just save the money up and buy a bolt mismatch. But me as a collector and where I came from, I rebuilt a lot of guns from scratch. And I learned a lot. And it, it almost drove me insane, which caused me to be the person I am today. So, <laughs> Very nice. So, and wrote a book. In your collection, are in your both of your collections, though, are, are they majority matching or not matching? Matching. Mm, 98% match, 99% matching. All right. I'd expect that of you guys. I, I'm... I'm on the low match. percentage. I won't say my percentage, but I'm on the lower. I accept <laughs> but that's mismatch fine. deals to get examples. Uh, I actually do that too. So my, my matching percentage is actually probably lower because I accept certain you know, transgressions against Mauser you know, <laughs> lore yeah. to get an example. I'll, I'll do that. But I don't do sanded stocks. I don't do that. I shouldn't have to. No, no sanded stocks. Don't accept that. Okay, boys and girls, it's time again for America's favorite game show, Millserp Trivia. It is America's favorite. I'm going to present you with five K98K related questions. And as always, it's just a fun way to present some information to you guys. So we won't keep score and we'll just yell out the answers. I doubt I'm going to stump you guys, but if you want to poll the audience or something, maybe we could do that. I don't know. So here we go. We have five questions. Question one. The only all-letter code used by a K98K manufacturer that actually represented the initials of the factory and was not one of the secret codes. BSW? Yes, of course you know, but my question is, of course, why? Why were they the only one that didn't use a secret code? I think I know the answer. Did, well, did Mike did the out? chapter. <laughs> I did the chapter. Oh, perfect. Because, okay, it, the Treaty of Versailles only allowed one factory to make parts for the German military, which was Simpson Sewell. And BSW was taken, uh, BSW took over Simpson. And I think oh. that because that, because they were the only factory actually allowed of our law to make the carryover. carryover was that's why they were allowed to use their Ooh. actual factory name. That's my opinion. I don't know if it's true, but it seems to make sense. You know what? I like that answer. That makes sense. I like it. There you go. All right. I'll take it. 
<laughs> all right. Through most of World War II, all German soldiers that carried a firearm were issued a Reiningungsgerät 34, which your book actually has numerous photos and I think six pages of information on these. What was the RG34? Cleaning kit. Correct, with all this stuff. This seems like a lot of stuff. That, did this go till the end of the war? Because it's it, it, actually, I Mike is your cleaning kit expert. <laughs> oh, I have a sickness. <laughs> he's, he's the only thing that like. the only thing that will solve it is more cleaning kits. Well, well, when I saw your photos, I was like, he's so into these kits right now. He oh, he, he took multiple angles of the same. It's awesome. It's me. I'm I'm sick. I'm sick with it. But yes, in your photo. All of those components were in the cleaning kit until the very end of the war. I would have thought for sure by the end they just said, "All right, stop the kit." Nope. nope. They, I've, I've got cleaning kits from the last days of World War II, and they have all of those components that you show in that photo. Because in this photo, you have an oiler, a chamber cleaning brush to the left, the one with the the spot in the middle. No, the one on the far left. This this is a bigger brush was. Uh, actually, the one on the left is for the, the bore, and the one in the middle is the chamber. And then the the chain at the top, which were also useful for the MP44, which was the 98K's replacement. Uh -huh. That makes sense. So the cleaning kits were made for MP44s as well. Wow, so they, they made a lot of kits then. Millions. <laughs> millions. Don't start collecting them, trust me. <laughs> Not worth it. You need to see, get the book to see the real number, but there's at least eight or so different latches on them. It's crazy. It's worse than that, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We talked about this before, but this manufacturer was also a major supplier of receivers, the JP Sauer, and theirs can be identified easily by their use of this Gothic font for their Mod 98 receiver markings. And our question was, why did they go so crazy? That's a I would say question, it's Fima, but it's yeah. it's also Irma. Yeah, uh, I called Irma, it Irma, but I wasn't Irma. sure if Fima and Irma did the same. And they did, but the reason why is because Irma was an old school World War One manufacturing facility, and they loved the old Gothic German things. I'm I'm assuming, and they stuck with that Gothic script for a long time. Actually, with FIMA, they changed it to the the standard block oh. lettering. Yeah, I was going to ask, was there like a standard or like a mandate, or was it just like, make sure it says uh, Mod 98 on the side, we don't care how it's written? That's anybody's guess. There's no paperwork that says one way or another, but, you know, in, it, no, at a certain like point... Main, just like all the different fonts they used, there was no standard on that. Well, there was a yeah, certain point in, in Germany where they went from Suderland script to the... Oh, I can't remember what it's called now. A more block Latinish font. Yeah. Well, no, they had it. There's a there's a term for it. I don't know what it's called now, but it was actually mandated. The font change, and if you look at manuals from the period, starting about 1941 or 42, the Germans mandated a change in script to the new Latin style block script. <laughs> So it, it was actually, you know, top-down control, just like all other authoritarian regimes, top-down. My last 98, I got because I was, I was debating it, and then I saw the Gothic script. I'm like, oh, hey, this is 
this yes. is a nice gothic script. I'm gonna get it. And I got this this was the deciding factor. You pattern collector, you sorry. <laughs> I needed an early one. I have a 36. Oh. So I have an early, early, a middle, and a late, but I don't have Krieg's model or Krieg's model yet. I have to get there. That's the most important one. I know. I could tell from your full book on it. I mean, it must be crazy that how many have you touched in your hands at this point? Uh, it's got to be hundreds at this point. I no? don't know if I want to admit this. <laughs> I could tell you BNZ 45s. Let's just go BNZ 45s. I've probably owned 50 and touched wow. hundreds. Yeah. Wow. Just from, you know, going to gun shows, because that's what I focused on. I say 50. I probably didn't own 50. Probably 40. <laughs> oh, okay. Just 40. Yeah. But I didn't keep them of all. One year, I'm, one model. I'm I'm a one and I'm a one guy. I can collect one of everything. I don't collect duplicates. Yeah. So. I, I, but my problem is I go to upgrade, but then I end up having two of everything. Mm, nothing you wrong should with sell that. Your, <laughs> no, you should sell your upgrade. Don't ever I, keep it. I have to. I, Nope, you should sell it. All right, I'll do it. You know what? You told me I'll do it now. I'll tell you why. I, I could tell you why to sell, but let's let's answer the podcast <laughs> trivia. All right. All right, here we go. The Scheisbecker, which is a this, was introduced in World War II, but was based on a design from World War One and could be used with a number of other weapons chambered for eight millimeter Mauser, like the K98A, 9840, or even the FG forty two. Bruce? I I don't know. A grenade oh. launcher. Okay. Who, who had the grenade launcher chapter? That was me. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, I was a reenactor for a while, so. Like, I don't see these I much. Have said I, that. I look at auctions just to see what's high end. I, I don't see anyone selling any of these. Are they around still? They're, they're pretty rare for some reason. Uh, they, somewhere I read they made a million plus or something. They had to have. Yeah, but, I'm sure they had millions, but yeah, you almost never see them. They go for pretty good money. She's Becker. Yeah. It's she's she's Becker. Did you say shy Becker? I said shy. Yeah. I I I. <laughs> a completely different thing. Just so you know. Now, if, you know, it, been, if it would have been a Gewehr or not Gewehr, then I would have known what it was. But <laughs> yes, shy Becker. Oh, for the, your My your audience Austrian might like to be upset. Okay. The word Schiesbecker. Do you see how it's S-E-H-I-E? Yeah, that's in the German off. language. In the German language, I-E pronounce the E. If it's E-I, you pronounce the I. Well, Scheisse and Schiesa are two different things, but that's that's all I'll say. <laughs> I know Scheisse, of course. <laughs> so if you see Well what's a Schieser? She's she's is shoot. Oh, like a parachute. No, shoot like firing oh, a gun. Like fire. Oh. Fire. Like firing. <laughs> uh Becker is probably thrower. Uh I don't I don't know. I'm not a, I don't speak German. I, I use a lot of online translators, but I I do understand pronunciation and I've I get it wrong sometimes and I get corrected by the German members of our forum when I <laughs> type Craig's model instead of Krieg's model. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> they they do not like it. I think you, they know what you mean. 
No, they know what I mean, but they make sure to correct me. <laughs> All right. Trivia number five, last one. Here we go. So far, you guys, I'm surprised you got them all. Uh, early in the war, thousands of K-9 AKs were purchased by this country and were updated with a muzzle brake and oh. rechambered for the country's 8 by 63 millimeter round uh, for use as anti-tank rifles. What'd you that's think actually incorrect. That's actually oh. incorrect. But oh, come on, Tom. You know what? Let me, let me, I'll tell management. We'll get up there. Tell them. All right. Bruce, I'm going to let you handle this because you've bought and sold these guns. Whoa. Actually, I have Swedish. Correct. The Sweden. Oh, wait, you yeah. have these? Gavar M40, yeah. I've had them, yes. They're not anti-tank rifles. Oh, what was the, it? The 8x63 millimeter round is their machine gun yeah. round. Yeah. And what they wanted is they wanted the number one and number two and number three guys for the machine gun crew to use the same ammo as the machine gun so they converted them to oh. the same the same round so, so that they it, would have you know the same ammunition between all yeah. the guys you know what the amazing that, is the interesting thing about these guns is they're either road hard and reworked as they come out of israel or they're brand new there's no in between on these guns <laughs> And you had eight by sixty-three ammo to shoot these? No, I just—I've uh, actually had two of these, and you know, I passed them on because they weren't Mauser. But um, yeah, even the ammo's tough to get. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. That was fun. All right, Bruce got one wrong. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> we stumped him. Gotta go study now. <laughs> All right. So we'll move. We'll, we'll we'll go to different questions now. We'll okay, move away cool. from the the trivia and the user submitted ones, and we'll go to some more technical. Not too crazy though, because we are on a audio podcast. But one thing to note was I was going through a bunch of questions, and I, I noticed a bunch of patterns. A lot of people asking, even on your forums, is my rifle correct? What could you tell me about my rifle? Questions. So all those people, I said, go get a book or look at the forums. You know. That's something I, you have to figure out yourself. I think we that's, that's a lot of our responses from the moderators are hey, we've got a we've got books, you got a we've right. got a picture reference, extensive picture reference on the forum. Do your homework, guys. I mean teach I them. Think the, a lot of guys want to take the easy way out. Oh, what I I bought this, what I what I got, you know, come on. Yeah, especially with the internet. It's so much easier well, to research now. I'm a little Crazy. more moderate on that. <laughs> I I like to try to help those guys. You can tell within one or two posts if they're serious. Redeemable. Redeemable <laughs> is the word I use. Uh, some, a lot of those guys, they really don't care. They want to know if they got a deal. That's it. They care about the money. Right. That's true. It, if you care about the money, then our form is not for you. If you care about the history, there's a lot of guys that will help you dig down deep. Even if you have a completely mismatched gun and help you explain every little marking if they can. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that's really that's what it boils down to. Do you care about the money or do you care about mill serps? You know, mill serps. I'll say. Now Mike's right. There's guys that look at it like two classes of people. One guy picks up a gun and says, this is really cool. History, you know, the features. Other guy looks at it. Oh, what's it worth? You know, that's yeah. I, I see that all right. the time. Yeah. Not you know, redeemable. 
not you know, redeemable. We hang out with, uh, I don't know if you follow uh, Millsorp World on uh, YouTube. It's uh, Danny and Aaron, those fellas. But we yeah. hang out in that Discord, and one of our things is there's nobody there that is just asking for how much it's worth. It's more about, this is really cool. Look at this history. What what can you tell me about it? Yeah. So I appreciate that about those fellas. Yeah, and the yeah. 98K world is so, the well of 98Ks is so deep. And trust me, I've written, me and Bruce have written three, four book, four books on it. I still haven't seen the bottom. <laughs> it's deep. Good. There's much more. And oh, if, you, yeah. if, if, if you want to get into something that you'll never find all the answers, this is it. <laughs> no, you'll yeah. never, you never find all the codes. You'll never find all the variations. It's impossible. We, we learn something new every year. Every year, you know, even when I was I was trying to make a list of every manufacturer code ever, and I started writing them down, and then all of a sudden my list became slash MB. Now yeah. there's so many of them. It's yeah, and I said, wow, there's so many stories here. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's like BS. It's like BSW. When I was writing the BSW chapter, everybody knows BSW started in 1937, and Look at that. I like that little chart you got. So everybody knows BSW starts in 1937. And oh, I got an email from a guy from Russia that said, sir, this is what I have. It was a BSW 1936. And I was like, uh-oh, you're Oop. kidding me. It's the only one that's ever been reported. And it's legit. Really? I thought you were going to say it was fake. Nope. Completely legit. In fact, uh, about six months ago, a friend of mine that lives nearby says, hey, I got something to show you. He, he's like, I got a BSW 1936. I was like, you're full of BS. No way. He pulls out a barrel from an MG, uh, MG08, and it's marked BSW 1936. So hmm. they, they, they do exist, but they're exceedingly rare. And there's one or two at least in the United States. So you guys get out there and find it. It's it's gold. Oh, I've got a I've got a surprise. I've got a surprise for you guys. I've I've got a surprise for you guys at the end. Uh, and ooh, ooh, all right. <laughs> as far as like 98k production, I can't wait to drop it on you. But ooh. All right, don't forget. Fun. Don't forget. Oh, I'm not going to forget. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the moment <laughs> to drop this. All right. All right. <laughs> All right, I'll move on. I'll move on here. Here we go. So a, a big group of questions came in that were people asking about when things were done, like when did they switch to the cup butt plates and the laminate stocks and stuff. And I told them all, go to the book, go to the forums. But uh, we can tell you. Can we clearly say, was there a set time for all those changes to, for all the manufacturers at the same time, or was it different per manufacturer? It was it was was not uniform. No, it was different per manufacturer. Like the removal of the underside of the rear sight, right? They had their graduations on there, and oh, like like uh, cup butt plates. Supposedly, but... cup butt plates show up in forty coated, nineteen forty coated rifles. But I'm pretty sure they're early forty one production. But Ber Mauser Berlin used flat butt plates well into forty three, so that blew. There wasn't right. it wasn't uniform, but that's the only manufacturer to use flat butt plates in forty two and forty three. By early forty two, it was all cut butt plates except for one maker. So when uh, those 
changes happened? Was it like a mandate that came down? Like, all right, everyone most, do this. Most of the just... changes happened in, a lot of changes happened in 42. They simplified production. And then a boatload of changes happened in 44 with a much more a simplified uh, production. So pretty much everyone was told what to do, but they weren't, it wasn't followed up whether they did it immediately or not. Exactly. That was, that was mandated by the, the uh, armaments office. Yeah. But it wasn't followed. It wasn't followed strictly. You could tell that. Like they could take you as long find, as they wanted, yeah, you I could, guess. Well, you can find paperwork that says you will do this. And then if you look at the examples, they didn't do it. So it, it's probably yeah, but more that could a have been That could have been a, a, a physical situation with the factory or something. Exactly. Maybe. And that's, that's what they would say. It's like, well, we have, you know, 100,000 uh, flat butt plate stocks. We can't convert these and they're like okay use them yeah the germans were very practical but a lot of the changes like sight hoods flat butt plates like laminate stocks 1937 mauser you start seeing them but they don't show up at other manufacturers in 1937 actually i thought they showed up in late sour and berlin as well in late 37 probably did yeah I don't remember all that stuff. I wrote a book, so I don't have to remember it. <laughs> Just a big personal note sheet. And, and for the record, it was the laminate was actually a stronger design, right, than the regular oh, walnut. A lot stronger, and and easier to manufacture because walnut stock walnut stock blanks had to dry for months. Uh, laminate stocks did not dry. They just created them. Well, they actually laminate the development of laminate actually started in thirty six. Ooh. And it took them took them a year to you know get it all ironed out. So, is there any truth to the like the red versus the white glue one being stronger, or is it just kind of just a it's true? It's true in my opinion. Well, they oh. had a lot of problems with the white glue just falling apart. Some of them, but not during the war. This is post-war. During the war, it didn't make a difference. Yeah, but okay. over the storage just degraded the glue. It's mostly white glue you see delaminating. Yeah, and that's 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 a collector thing post-war. But like post-war 50s, 60s, or post-war 90s, 2000s? Like when did it deteriorate? Who knows? Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> it, it took 70 years to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It all depends on how it's stored. I've got I've got rifles with white glue stocks that are perfect. I've it just a, depends I, on the on the batch I've, because I got a BYF 44 ZF 41 with a white glue laminate stock and it's absolutely perfect. So yeah. it's mm. all about storage yeah so a lot of people were asking about the kriegs model rifles if they were functionally different and i was under the impression like like the arasaka rifles you know they used more and more stamped parts and then by the end even though they didn't look pretty they were still functionally the exact same you know insides yeah they had the they had the same uh acceptance standards as you know in 1944 like Good. bolts, barrels, and receivers were unchanged, were they? Yeah, I mean the metallurgy was strictly controlled. They didn't nice. allow them to make cast parts that would break apart. Uh, so, so none of them are gonna blow up. No, some people. No, say. you're not gonna have a Dou 45 blow up on you. It's just now there is a caveat to that. Uh -oh. The BNZ guns, the Steyr guns. Uh, a lot of the concentration camp labor, you know, you, you see a lot of stories about, and I did a lot of research on this, so you see a lot of stories about concentration camp uh, sabotage. 
Yeah, that's, but it, that... it, it wasn't that easy to do. It wasn't easy to sabotage stuff. But if you read enough, you'll find what those guys figured out was they could alter the heat treating and make the parts over-hardened or Oh, so they're brittle? Right. And eventually so they'll give it up. I've, I had a BNZ 45. Uh-oh. And the cocking piece was pink. It was so hard. And it was cracked. And that was a perfect example of what those guys did. They actually succeeded in sabotage uh, over-hardening parts. Because everything that they made was sent through a Waffenopt inspection team. But they they didn't inspect every part. They inspected one part in a batch. Mm. And some of those parts made it into guns that were then issued and then failed. But it's minor. But you know what? Good for those guys. You know, they they did you know, their job. They, we were going to ask if uh, one of the FUD questions was it was a, a FUD lore that the concentration camp uh, sabotaged the rifles. And everyone thought it was a joke, but you tell me it's true? It's true. Wow. Yeah. They actually did. Yeah, there oh, was even there was even uh, when even in Gustloff barrel production, there was a lot of scrap just due to the fact that the you know through either a combination of training and sabotage, their yield was really low, and it was basically a failure on Gustloff's part. So uh, the Czech factories, we can talk about that if you want to talk about sabotage. What they did? But, oh, weren't the Czechs not captured, but they were employees of the Germans? Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> So the Czech the Czech region was the Sudetenland. They weren't they weren't overrun, but they weren't willing participants in the Nazi ideal. So what the Czech factories did, if you if you look, the first DOU rifles start in forty three, right? But think about mm -hmm. this. The Germans took over in nineteen thirty nine or nineteen forty. So what mm -hmm. the Czechs did is and I, I found this in my research. They convinced the Germans, look, we're making 98 Ks here, but what you need to make is MG 34s. And like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. They convert the factory over to MG 34s. And then the Czechs say, oh no, we need 98 Ks, not MG 34s. And like, oh yeah. And they convert the, the factory back over to 98 Ks. And then they come to him and say, oh, this is a problem. The tanks need MG34s, and they convert the factory back over to MG34. So they never truly converted the factories over until 1943. They they slow rolled it for huh. years, and that was their effort to thwart wow. the Nazis. Wow, that's smart. Yeah, yeah. but um, they if you look at the numbers though, they they did crank them out though, and they were put putting them. Oh out. yeah, yeah. <laughs> They did, uh, and they were Brune. Brune one it, was almost as as many rifles made in forty four as Mauser. Pretty close, and they, were, and they were one of the highest quality guns. Yep. So but they were look, they delayed, they stalled, but then they put they out. Stalled. They couldn't put but out a bad product. It. Yeah, but think about it. If you stall for three years, that's that's so many rifles. So once they had to start, the Germans finally caught on. And said, "No, you will make this," and you know. Things happened. The rest is history. The rest is history. Yeah. They only made them two years. Well, three years. All right. So those Kriegs model rifles were 100% the same guts. So 
Oh, sure. At the, at the time, we're safe to shoot. Just, Who knows about now? Simplified fittings and sheet metal, but same basic design, yeah. It was the same cap, the same forgings, like the gas shield, the same forging. They just didn't finish them. Yep. Uh, you hear about some, Arasaka's had some uh, stamped steel receivers for some hey, of guys. theirs. No, yeah. that was the Naval Special had a cast receiver <laughs> yeah, because, because all the load bearing was in the barrel and bolt. So that's, you know, but that's, that's the, Our, that was pushing the, it. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's it for part one. Make sure to check out part two where we get into fakes, FUDs, SS rifles, accessories, ammo, recoil, uh, snipers, holy grails, and most important of all, what the next books are about. All this plus we do the speed round, spin the wheel of Milser, and find out Mike's never before shared K98K production secret. Huh? Huh? Not really a cliffhanger because part two's out right now or not if you're listening the very first day or so <laughs> <laughs>